Well, no, that's what I was going to tell you. Um, one, one negative thing, I spend three months on crutches and two weeks on a cane, and four days ago my wife sprains her ankle, and now, and now she's using the crutches for another month or so. And this is what Canadians do. They don't waste anything. If you've, if you've paid for surgical appliance, doggone it, we're going to find a way to use those surgical appliances. So, so if you guys would be so kind as to pray for her, um, keep her in your prayers. That would be wonderful. Well, Mary, I'm in a hurry. I've got to preach. I, I don't care about my wife's pain. I'm in a hurry. I've got to preach. Okay, reach out your hands towards the north. And it's out of way. All right. Father, Father, right now, seriously. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we agree together to accept the authority that you have given us, quote, over every kind of evil, unquote. And we pray right now the release of the Holy Spirit and your healing power, Father, to go to Shelley's ankle right now and to heal her. We pray this in your mighty name, Lord, in your authority. Amen. Okay, before we launch into an unusual message with a very unusual application, um, you're, you're going to find this very interesting. We've got a little piece of church business to do. Um, there's a fellow in our church. Pete, where are you? Would you please come forward? Pete uh, is a very skilled contractor, and at times he works for Pastor John for nothing. John thought he was working for nothing, but actually there's going to be some payment involved in the services that Pete rendered. It seems that they agreed to a particular kind of contract, and being Pete's lawyer, he asked me to draft it. So I have drafted it, and they're going to sign it this week, and it's going to be performed next Sunday. Are you ready, people? Contract for services rendered. Now, because I'm a lawyer and I'm paid by the word, it's a little flowery, but you just got to get used to that. Whereas the party of the first part, Peter Ramos, here and after referred to as Ramos, has provided construction services to the party of the second part, John Ator, here and after referred to as Pastor John, this agreement witnesseth the consideration as follows. One, Pastor John hereby agrees that the services of Ramos, as provided to the residents of Pastor John in the hamlet of Ramona, shall be without monetary consideration. Two, Ramos hereby agrees to forego monetary consideration upon the performance by Pastor John of the following conditions. <sighs> A. Pastor John shall perform the following actions forthwith during the regular Sunday morning meeting of the Gathering Place Church on August 6th, in this, the year of our Lord, 2017. B. The following action shall be performed by Pastor John from the pulpit in the full hearing of all the congregants. C. Pastor John shall perform the following actions with sobriety and sincerity, befitting his position of pastor. D. The following action shall be performed by Pastor John as aforesaid. 1. Pastor John shall provide four credible reasons why he is happy to have the San Diego Chargers move to Los Angeles and no longer and no longer be known as the San Diego Chargers. But wait, it gets so much better. Pastor John shall provide four credible reasons 
why, is ha- why he is happy that the attorney of Pete Ramos, the associate pastor of GPC, Mark Coppersmith, has not moved to Los Angeles. And why Pastor John is thrilled that Mark, Mark Coppersmith is still an institution, an inspiration, a glowing example, profound blessing, and bright light to the Gathering Place Church. In, in agreement of all of the foregoing, Pastor John and Pete Ramos have here ascribed their signatures this 30th day of July 2017. Pete, you sign right here. Credible reasons, with all due sobriety and with sincerity, respect. with respect, in keeping with his position well, as I would pastor. Like, I would like to say two things. One, you don't get to say anything. This, this you, you just sign and you sit down. For, forgive me. I mean this. Forgive me, Democrats. But this was like the Obamacare that got passed without the Republicans even seeing it. Well, actually, nobody saw it. I John, did not see this. You'll find out what's in the agreement when you sign the agreement. <laughs> Doesn't he understand good government or what? I'm not here to fight with you. I just secondly, want to preach. I would have much rather paid the 150 bucks. <laughs> you get to. Keep and thirdly, it. those are going to be easy to do. That's yours. <laughs> do you think a church should be able to have fun? Is that a good thing? I think it's a wonderful thing. Anyway, you can pray about all those four reasons for the rest of the week. (laughs) Okay, we would be in the Gospel of John, but something happened last week that changed everything. And I'm going to preach, and then we're going to apply it, and you'll find out what happened last week that changed everything. This is a message on spiritual authority. And this is called Living as a People of Authority. And let's look at this first passage together. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So we're dealing with two things in this passage. We're dealing with power and authority. Now, what's interesting about this passage is there's two other parallel passages found in the other Gospels. And in both of those other parallel passages... The mention of power doesn't exist. In those other two, he simply gives them authority. So between power and authority, the authority is is the key issue. You see, power follows authority, and we're going to see that in a minute. But what we're looking at here that's important is that Jesus has delegated spiritual authority over physical matter and creation, every kind of evil, the Bible says, to his followers. But do we have that authority today? That's a crit- Well, let's prove it. Let's just take a moment to prove that. Then Jesus came to them and said, all, you see how he's repeating the theme? Authority is the issue. All authority in heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Now, the therefore is important. The therefore connects that statement to what's going to follow, which means because all authority has been delegated to him, the therefore means what he says now is in his authority and he can delegate that authority. So he says, therefore, go and make uncommitted converts, half-hearted people, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey 
teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, what did he command them up in Luke 9? Take your power and authority, take your authority, go out and preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So now he's saying, as he's about to return to heaven, I have this authority. It's been given to me. Therefore, I'm telling you to go out and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The first one is a command that he's given. Do you understand? He's saying, go out and make disciples who do the same thing I told you to do. And I told you to take the authority and go out and heal the sick. So if they take seriously what he has said in these two passages, what we have is a delegation of of spiritual authority, which is not just delegated to one generation. What's also delegated to that generation is the authority to delegate it to another generation who shall delegate it to another generation who have delegated to another generation until the very end of the age, which hasn't occurred yet. So here we are in a chain of spiritual authority that started 2,000 years ago and is still working today. And this authority is still flowing. And we, he expects us to pick it up and take it and to use it. And I've been teaching the young people, we did it this morning, And I said to them, when you go to pray for the sick, don't ask for healing. Pronounce it. It's not presumptuous if you've been given the authority. Then when you speak, you don't say, I mean, can you can you really imagine the chief, the the joint chief of the military speaking and saying, well, you know, if the president uh, allows it, but he's already been told by the president to do it? Gee, I wonder if I should do it. No, you've already been told by the president to do it. You've been given the authority. Now go complete the task. So we don't need to beg God for healing. We need to take the authority we have and simply speak it and speak in authority with authority and his power follows his authority. You with me? So there's a delegation here we have to take seriously. And it's in the red part of the Bible. Well, come on. That's, there's a little, maybe you can say, oh, you know, Paul, maybe he's not that special, blah, blah, blah. These are the red words. Literally written in blood. Think about that. Written in blood. These two references make it crystal clear we are a people of authority. Now, this is important because authority is the vehicle of God's rule in creation. It is how everything gets done in creation. He delegated his authority. When was the first delegation of spiritual authority in the Bible? Adam and Eve. He gave them authority over all the birds and the bees and the flora and the fauna and the fowl and everything else. And he said, go. Hmm? Everything. He gave them authority over everything in creation. And he sent them out to rule on his behalf. You see, delegation of authority is how the kingdom functions. And if we don't understand authority and how to move in it, we don't have the resources of the kingdom. Authority is everything.
Now, it's important to note again that the gospel writers in the three instances of this delegation, all three mention authority, only one mentions power. Authority is the critical issue. We have his power when we have his authority. And this is important. Listen to this. This will change your life. Authority and power are different. Do you understand that? Authority and power are different. Power is something you have in yourself. Right? You're born with a certain measure of physical ability. You're born with a particular intellect. You're born into a rich family or not. Whatever. You have power by virtue of God's creation of you. You have a measure of power. But you have a limited measure of power. It is what you can humanly do. Some have more, some have less. Now let's say you're a little wimp, like me. You're a little wimp. And you don't feel very powerful. But you go and you buy a handgun. And you load it. And you carry it around with you. Do you now feel more powerful? Yes. You can acquire more power easily. It doesn't give you any authority, but it gives you more power. But as soon as you have it, your confidence will increase. But you only have that confidence as long as you're packing. The minute you don't have that thing anymore, you revert to the little wimp that you always were. There is a biblical distinction between power and authority. Power depends on what you yourself can possess and carry around. It's all about you. But authority depends on the relationship you have with someone in power. Hello? Get it? Authority is dependent on a relationship. You've got to be rightly related to someone that has the power in order to function in that person's authority. President Trump has very little personal power. He's not a very big guy. He doesn't even carry a gun. He is not as powerful as the weakest of America's frontline soldiers. But with one word, he can release all of the power of the American military. Why? Because he has the authority to do it. And we're just like that with God. We don't, we don't push evil spirits around because we're more powerful than evil spirits. The truth is we're not more powerful than evil spirits. They're more powerful than we are. Thank God the confrontation in the kingdom is not power on power. It's power on authority. And authority always wins. Authority trumps power every single time. So when you know your authority and you function in your authority, they are afraid of you. Not because you're so strong. It's the spirit standing behind you that terrifies them. Oh, my God, look who's backing him up. Oh, my God. Look who's backing this little weasel up. And they run. And they understand that authority. We're not more powerful people than anyone else. We have something better than power. We have the authority to speak on, on behalf of someone who has the ultimate power. This is interesting. In this Luke passage, right after he gives them, this is really interesting, right after he gives them his authority, he takes away their power. Watch this. He's just given them his authority. And then he says this. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. 
He is stripping them of any sense whatsoever of their personal power. The only thing they leave with is the authority he has given them. The only thing they're sent out with is the authority he has given them. Listen, he doesn't want you to rely on your intellect. He doesn't want you to rely on your physical prowess. He doesn't want you to rely on your charismatic personality. He doesn't want you to rely on any of the gifts he's built into you genetically or even the wealth of your family or the social position, or your privilege. He wants you to rely on His authority. And sometimes life takes our power away from us, but it cannot take our authority away from us. Circumstance will rob you temporarily of your power, but circumstance can never rob you of your authority. What can rob you? Of your authority. You see, understanding that we don't have a lot of power, but we've got a lot of authority, creates a very real problem for us. And it's this Where does your spiritual authority exist? Within your personhood, where does your spiritual authority exist? In your mind. You don't have any power. You have authority. But authority isn't a substance. It's a delegation. It's somebody's word. It's what the guy in power told you to do. It's what you know to be true. It's what you believe in your mind. That's where your authority resides. In your thinking. In your mind. Now here's the problem with that. You can be talked out of it. It's fragile in that it's not like carrying a gun around. If, you need to be, if you're a punk and you need to re, be reminded you're powerful, all you've got to do is just put your hand in your pocket and feel the gun. But authority is what you believe. It's essentially a thought. And you can be talked out of your authority. We actually have theologies which were developed to talk us out of our authority. And we say, that's what the Bible says. (laughs) Man, that's crafty. That's crafty. Twist, spindle, fold, and mutilate the word until it says the opposite of what it says so that no one will believe what it says so we walk around without authority. God doesn't heal today. Yes, he does. But he won't through you when you don't believe he does. Get it? It's fragile. Power you can carry, but authority comes from a relationship. If you have a principal-agent relationship with the king, then you have his authority. If you know it's been given to you, then you speak on his behalf. The evil forces we're up against know we have very little power. They don't fear our power. What they do fear is our authority. They don't even fear our authority If we don't know we have it and don't use it, then it's no threat to them whatsoever. And our use of our spiritual authority depends entirely on our faith. Because faith is belief and faith is what we choose to believe about what we have from God. Cha-ching. 
That's why so many physical healings in, in the life of Jesus are related to faith. They believed for it. Therefore, they had the authority to receive it or to give it. Our authority depends on our faith, and our faith exists as a state of mind. It is the content of what we believe. So the question, of course, for us is what are we believing for? What are we exercising faith for? The battle you fight to exercise Jesus' authority and see his power flow through your life is fought in your mind. The battle for faith and belief is fought in your mind, and that is where Satan focuses his attack. He will lie to you. He will use your circumstances to try to deny your spiritual authority. He will do anything he can to talk you out of your spiritual authority because your spiritual authority is the only genuine threat to his rebellious kingdom. Lies rob you of your faith. And if that doesn't work, if lies doesn't work, he tries to get you away from your relationship with Jesus because that's where your authority comes from. If he can't talk you out of it, he'll distract you from it. Right? Really, you know, that's, look guys, we think we have to be, like we fear Satan because of car accidents. We fear Satan because of diseases. We fear Satan because of financial reversals. Those things mean nothing. What we should fear him for is his ability to trick us out of our spiritual authority. That's where the danger lies. So if he can keep us praying about sickness and car accidents and financial reverses and think that's the big issue, that's the big enemy, well, he's quietly talking out, us out of our spiritual authority to do something about those things, he wins before the battle begins. I mean, come on. Serious. We see this, both these things, both these things I just said we see happening in Luke 9. Immediately after the disciples' first success, Jesus asks them to up what they can believe for. They're faced with a huge crowd to feed, only five loaves and two fish. They take the problem to Jesus. What are you going to do about this? Oh, we've got a crisis. We've got a serious problem. What are you going to do about this? And in verse 13, Jesus says to them, Give them something to eat. We don't have anything to give them. Jesus expects them to do a miracle. He expects them. He's already. He's, these are the guys he sent out with authority. He's upping the ante. He's seeing if they can do it. He's giving them a test. He knows. Yeah, it is. It's good preaching. People, come on. Let's get into this. It's good preaching. He expects them to do a miracle. He knows how much authority he's given them. And so he's given them. And so should they know how much authority he's given them. But circumstances already talked them out of it. And the circumstance was, we've only got a little bit of bread and a couple fish and we've got thousands of people. What a dire circumstance. This is hopeless. Jesus, fix it. And he looks and goes, I think I gave you the authority last week and you guys have already lost it. Where did you leave it? Pick it up. 
They're, see, they're already beginning to limit what they will believe for. The battle is in their mind. They're already beginning to limit what they're willing to believe for, and that will limit what they can do. All right. The battle's in the mind. Now I'm going to tell you a story. And this story leads to the application. Back in 19... Back in... 1996. Done that. Back in 1996, I was leading a team to go to an Episcopal church up in northern Alberta where we lived. uh, St. Andrews in Morinville. And the week before we left... Fred, a 372-pound pig farmer, was walking through the mall, and God said, you know that sword you saw at the House of Knives last week? It was an English broadsword, beautiful, big English broadsword, like five or 600 bucks. I mean, serious, right? And Fred didn't have a huge amount of money. God said, go buy the sword, and don't tell anybody you have it, and put it in the van, and take it on the ministry trip. To Morinville. How many people would obey that? Well, Fred's one of those crazy Christians. So he went and he bought the broadsword and he, it was in a cardboard box and he put it in the back of the van and he didn't tell anybody. And then we got up to Morinville and uh, preached on a Friday night and then I was preaching on a, a Saturday morning. And um, I was in the middle of the message. And I know this sounds weird. This doesn't happen very often, but I had a vision and I knew nothing about the sword. I was up on the stage and I was preaching about spiritual authority, something like this message. And I looked down on the ground and there was in my mind, there was an English broadsword on the floor right there in front of the stage. And I said to the people, (laughs) I said, people, and there was nothing there, right? I said, people, there's a, there's an English broadsword right down there on the ground. It's the sword of your spiritual authority. God says, pick it up. And I was in the spirit when this happened. I mean, I was, it was crazy what I was doing, but you get carried away, you know. I said, there's an English broadsword there on the floor. The Lord says, it's the sword of your spiritual authority. Pick it up. And people are looking at me like I'm crazy because there isn't anything there. And I say this about three times because I'm under the, I know, I, this is like, I'm all wound up. I'm like, people, there's an English broadsword on the ground. It's right there. Pick it up. And they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And all of a sudden, Fred jerks like this. And he looks at me and his eyes go big. And he runs out of the church and he runs and gets the sword. Seriously. And he brings it and he puts it right there where I saw it. And then he sits down. And my skin's tingling. It's like, holy smokes, I made it up here. People, there's, there's five pounds of beef ribs, barbecued beef ribs, right there on the floor. Go get the sauce. So anyway, there's this sword sitting there. And I said, people, there's an English broadsword on the ground right there. Pick up the sword. And I started yelling. I started yelling, at, like, pick up the sword. Pick up. I was mad. Like, pick it up. And nobody moved. And there was a guy I found out later. He'd been in the church for about three months, a 35-year-old guy. 
And he was standing at the back, and he hadn't been involved in anything in the church. He'd just been kind of an observer. Well, he comes up, and he walks down the center aisle, and he picks this thing up, and he holds it above his head like this. All of a sudden, people start coming out of the pews in the center aisle, and they're all surrounding him, and their hands are reaching up to touch this thing. He got hand on top of hand, like at least maybe 30 people, all in a big knot. It's just getting this big clump of people reaching up to this sword. And I'm watching this, and my experience of the event was, was unusual. I heard an explosion, like with my ears. I, I, I don't know what it, I mean. It, it's, a, it's an auditory vision. Anyway, I heard this crack. It was like an explosion, really, really loud. And as soon as it happened, the whole congregation went crazy. Like spontaneous. They're jumping up and down. They're jumping over pews. They're screaming. They're cheering. They're falling on the ground. They're crying. They're laughing. I mean, it was just like I've never seen anything like this in my life. And one of the girls on our team, very, very prophetic, but not flaky. Like, this is important to understand. She, she, was, she was never drawing attention to herself. She was mature, but she heard from the Lord really well. And she told me afterwards, her, her, I heard something, she saw something. And what she saw was when he lifted it up, and he was holding it like this and all the people gathered. She said there was a dark tent over the meeting and the sword poked up in the tent like this and it lifted that tent up. And she said, I was watching the point of the sword on the tent and all of a sudden, it ripped. All this light poof, just came into the room. I don't know, but I think that was probably close to the same moment that I heard this explosion because things went nuts. She said things went nuts right after that. It's like this light came in. The band came up and started playing worship. We worshiped, jumped up and down and went crazy praying for one another for two hours. It was, it was absolutely wild. I've never been in a meeting. I mean, there've been some good meetings, but nothing like this. And the pastor had gone to a counseling appointment in the main city, a few hours away, so he wasn't there for any of this. So I'm thinking, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. <laughs> so he came back. He came back that afternoon, and I took him aside. I said, Peter something happened. <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm already hearing about it. I said, uh, let me explain what happened. And I explained it, and he was thrilled. I mean, he said, we've been, we've been waiting for this, praying for this. So he was excited. I said, well, man, we're just going to keep on doing it, you know. So Sunday morning comes, and um, I get up to preach, and I had a message, but the Lord wouldn't let me preach it. And you know what that's like. And I kept going, come on, Lord, give me what you want me to say. The worship's almost over. Come on, Lord, I've got to get up in five minutes. Give me what you want me to say. And I got up and I had nothing. He would not tell me what he wanted. And I'm just standing there like, thanks a lot. It's great to be your servant. The, the God who doesn't like to communicate. And then it came to me. And I just started preaching on spiritual authority. And the girl who saw the vision, she, come, she came up right in the middle of my, my extempore message. And she said, I need to talk to you. And I, okay, people. So we go, we go off the stage. I said, what is it? She said, the Lord told me what we're supposed to do now. 
And I said, what? And she said, we're supposed to bring in the sword and present it to their church as a part of their liturgy. And any family that is sick or in trouble is to take the sword home as a symbol of their spiritual authority. And it's supposed to stay with that family until their prayer is answered. Then it's to be brought back to the church and be part of the liturgy until the next family needs it. And I went and got the pastor and I said, I took him aside. Everyone's standing there wondering what the heck's going on. And I took him aside and I said, Peter, this is what Tammy got. I think it's the Lord, but it's up to you. What do you think? And he said, absolutely. So Fred went and got the sword and we presented it to them. And uh, they had it for about two years. And then I got a phone call from the head of the vestry, February 28, 1998. And he said, we believe that the sword has accomplished its purpose for our church. uh, And we want to bring it back to you because we think God has more use for this, but it's not with us. And they came down. And when they came down, they brought this letter with them. He said, we want to present you with the sword, but we want to tell you what happened in the church through this thing. We searched, Shelley and I searched through every box of files in our house for a week to find this. I am so thankful we found it. First Thessalonians, this is how it starts. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as we are doing. St. Andrews, Morinville. Thanks, Mark and Shelley, for all the ministering team and all the ministry team for coming to our church. What an honor for us to be chosen to be the first to receive the sword. The sword was brought to us by the leading of the Holy Spirit and a faithful servant of your team, Fred. You brought the sword to us at a time when God knew we needed it. It was a source of encouragement for us to keep going when many of us were ready to give up. You left the sword at our church. It then went to the family whose husband picked up the sword when you said, who will be the first to pick up this sword? Ken Smith. They had it for the first week. Then the sword came into the church on Sunday to go to a new family who needed it. The rest of the families prayed each week for the family, for the needs of that family. The sword was kept for one week or two, depending on family's needs. The day that the sword came into our lives, it's been a witness. That day, the, the, the sword came into our lives. It's been a witness that God is very real and powerful to each of us. Here are some of the events that happened when people have had the sword in their possession. It's been a time of restoration for many, a renewal of strength and healing for those who are ill. The sword was used to remind us all that nothing is impossible for God. Trusting in God is a rebuilding of faith In some families, others had renewal of relationships in marriages. During crisis in a family, during crisis in a family was a time of strength and drawing back to God. Many other, many others have received a new boldness to speak out for Christ. Also, a new bonding has happened within our church. Christ is center and we're growing and great things have been happening. We have more new families and God has many more wonders and works for us. Renewal of the Holy Spirit within our church is wonderful. There's been a few, more, a few more new brothers and sisters in the family of God. A number of our youth have started serving God in a marvelous witness that they're Christians. 
And Peter and Mildred made this beautiful box to hold the sword. The plaque is the first of many to help chart the travels of the sword's ministry. We hope that others will follow our lead. We return with the return of the sword to you. We, the congregation of Morinville, want to send a blessing to the next church. Thanks and God bless. Okay, when we moved down here in 2000, about 2001, the Lord spoke to me and he said, phone Fred and tell Fred that the sword is needed in San Diego. No further details. So I called Fred and Fred drove 2,500 miles there and back to deliver the sword to my house. And it's been sitting on the wall of our living room since about 2001. And periodically I say to the Lord, is there anything you want to do with that sword? And he's never said anything in 16 years. And at the youth meeting last week, we had a time of waiting on the Lord. And Kayla had a very specific word from the Lord. And she said, I saw myself handing out swords to people. Just no one said anything about swords prior to that. And as soon as she said that, the Lord spoke to me and said, this is it. He said, take the sword to church on Sunday and present it to the Ator family who's been coping with sickness. And I thought, well, this is it. This is the application. It's time. And I took John aside and told him, well, this is what the Lord said, I think. And are you up for that? And he said, yes. And we're going to do the same thing with this. We're going to give it to a family with prayer needs. And then it's going to come back and then it's going to the next family with prayer needs. It's just going to work its way through the church to whoever wants it. Now, I've got to say this, and this is what I said to the people in Mournville, and you've got to understand this. This isn't magic. This is a piece of metal. That's all it is. It's a piece of metal. But it is a symbol to keep in our minds the truth we must hold on to to keep our spiritual authority. I wear this cross, not because it's magic, but because it reminds me of who I am. It's like dog tags in a, in a battle. This is my military identification. This is the unit I belong to. The sword has no spiritual power. It is a symbol of our spiritual authority, and it helps us to remind ourselves continually, I have spiritual authority and I can use it. And it is a powerful reminder. Does that make sense? So let's not get weird here. It's already weird enough. I mean, I draw the line. <laughs> We've got it. We, no, we're not getting any weirder than this. This is it. This is the high water of weirdness in our church. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to present the sword to the Ator family. And um, it's going to be a reminder to them of their spiritual authority to the whole family. And then when they think... They've had it long enough. They're going to pass it on to the next family that wants it. Now, some idiot, not me, broke this off. So it's been glued. So this is a wounded sword. 
means it's actually been in battle. So you, just, you don't get to play with this. This is not a toy. Okay? You're not going to swing it around and poke, it with, poke the dog with it, okay? That's not going to happen. So, John, would you come and... Yeah. So <laughs> It weighs more than Sam. So last night, uh, I want to say two things before I receive this. Last night, I was driving back from Mexico. My daughter, Isabella, says, if you were going to die and you could watch one movie before you died, what would it be? And I said, Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, I want to say that when, when Gary was an elder in our church a number of years ago, um, he was away, and uh, I was uh, in prayer, and the Lord spoke to me very specifically. He said, write down every sickness and disease in the Gathering Place Church. And the way I, f- what I felt was his, was his shepherding heart, that he wants his people healed. I came back, and uh, I told the group, um, no, I, can't, I came back, and before I said it, you said, John, I have something to share um, the Lord told me something while I was away. He said, he told us to write down every sickness and disease in the gathering place church. I said, you have got to be kidding me. So he told two elders, because you were watching football or something. So he spoke to Gary and I, <laughs> or eating that slab of ribs you were fantasizing yeah, about earlier. That would be better. For, for Jesus to tell two elders, uh, independently of one another, in the same week to write down every sickness and disease in our church body. I don't think it takes a spiritual rocket scientist to figure out that Jesus wants his people healed. That's for us. As he was talking and reading that list, I remember that list, and we, had, we saw some, but we did not see a whole lot of those things eliminated from that list. And right now, my wife last night, she, her asthma's acted up. After 21 years, she could hardly breathe. I mean, you hear your wife in the middle of the night gasping for air. That's... That's unacceptable. She's dealt with cancer twice. Got Meniere's. Um, you know, my daughter Isabella's got something going on. She's had for about a year. Uh, it's just unacceptable. It's not biblical. It's not the kingdom. And you guys have things that you're dealing with as well. And I want to crack the devil's back. And I want to see this place be the way Jesus wants it to be. He went into the temple. And the first thing he did was he cast out the religious people. And you know the next thing he did? It says he healed the sick. All the sick started coming, and then all the children started praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna. And the religious people got mad. So if you're religious, we'll know because you're about to get mad. Don't get too mad, people. (laughs) So... um, on behalf of the Ettors, you ladies want to receive this with me? Josiah, you want to receive this with me? He's Josiah just gonna, does. He's going to hand it to me. Okay. All right. We're going to put Josiah over here in his chair. And uh, all things are possible with our God. So I have six children for those that are visiting. So this is half. <laughs> my my wife this morning is uh why don't you pray over us, Mark? My wife is serving in the children's church right now this morning. So why don't you guys put your hands on this? Josiah, why don't we all hand? stretch out our hands to the family? Put your hands on it, Ava. We're representing our family, okay? I also get unity. I've got I know you're gonna pray Thank for us, Mark, Lord. but I just got this sword 
represents unity and oneness in our family. And you can claim that for your household right now. Command the spirits of strife to leave your home. The, the harassing spirits that try to divide. God is unity. Satan is division. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that we rebuke from our households is disunity. And we claim by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ now, right now, for unity for every household, which means all pride and unforgiveness and every demon that's feasting on those things must flee now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we claim kingdom unity in our homes and in this church. Thank you, Lord. Father, we accept your word that we are a people of authority. We accept the truth that you have given us authority over every kind of evil. And we thank you for using this this sword as a symbol the way you did in that church. And for your faithfulness and timing and knowing when it should be used as a symbol here. We confess it's not magic, but it is a powerful symbol. And we accept it as a symbol of our spiritual authority. And we pray as one body that every family that has possession of this sword will see it and be reminded of their spiritual authority and will apply it for every issue that they face. Accepting your spiritual authority and speaking through your spiritual authority. Use it, use it as you wish, Lord. Use it to the, to the max of our faith. Yes, Lord. We pray this in the mighty name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So be it. So be it. It's cool, isn't it? Josiah, you and Samuel, if I catch you with this in your bedroom and you're swinging at each other. (laughs) Guys, we're we're over time, but. um, Don't tell your mother I said that. And Lily, when you and I watch the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, we're going to have this with us right there in the room. It's going to be awesome. I just had an application come to mind for this. Anyone that has been uncertain of your spiritual authority and you want to be reminded of it and you want it uh, stirred up. There's several places where Paul requires and says, stir it up, stir up your faith, stir up your belief where you've been weak hearted and you need some encouragement. So if you're wanting your faith to be stirred up and your spiritual authority to be stirred up, you want some help with that, why don't you come forward now and John and I are going to lay hands on you. And Gary, if you would come too, and Kathy. The prayer teams come. You can also receive prayer if you're on the prayer team, but you can come and help us. And if you just want to come and and have that gift stirred up, then you come now and we'll lay hands on you and and, uh, send you out. I also want to say we have a family uh, going back to Africa. Um, um, so if you guys want to come down, we're going to lay hands on you. Um, uh, and also we have Eddie, uh, a military man who is going uh, de- on pl- deployment for a month. And there's my wife, Hope. Excellent. So, and if, uh, and honey, if you can come down, we're going to pray for you. We're going to cast this stinking spirit of asthma out of you and everything else, all, all, uh, all that. So, okay. So 